Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint today. If you're here for the first time, I really appreciate you coming and checking out our church. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor, and I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be right down in front of the stage here. Just come up, introduce yourself, and tell me a little bit about how you found yourself here at LifePoint today. Well, we're in a series called The Story, where we are looking at these major stories of Scripture all the way from Genesis, and we're going to go all the way through Revelation. And we're up to the point of the story where God's people have just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Moses guides them out. They go through the Red Sea. God delivers them from their enemies through closing the waters on them, and they all drown, and they start to make their way towards this place that God had promised 400 years prior called the Promised Land, a land that would be their very own, a land where they could prosper and God would be their God, and they would be His people, and they would worship Him, and a land that eventually would be the place where the Savior of mankind would be born. And so last week we left off where God had just given His people the Ten Commandments, or many more commandments than that, to protect them, to show His love for them, and to help them learn obedience. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. Those Bibles are yours to keep if you would like one, or if you'd just like to borrow it, you can do that as well and leave it in the back on the way out. Also, the scriptures I read are also displayed up on the screen at the same time. Have you ever seen those motivational posters, like those, uh, the ones that are supposed to really lift your spirits? Uh, you probably have them in your office, right? Who's got those in your office where it's like a picture of something really pretty and then it says something like uh, motivation or vision or teamwork or something like that? Well, there's a parody of those. It's, it's on despair.com. And I promise you, if you go to that website today, you will laugh. Because what they show is the opposite of motivational posters. They show demotivational sayings and posters. Things like this. If a saying on a poster motivates you, your job is too easy. It could be that the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning for others. That's not very motivational. I expected times like this, but I never thought they would be so bad, so long, and so frequent. We're picking up this story of God's people at a time when they can serve as an example for the rest of us. At a time when difficulty was coming every day and it seemed to be lasting forever and they thought they would never get out of it. Because this journey that started out just about a year before what we're going to read today is 175 miles. When God said, you're going to go to the promised land, they were in Egypt, it's a 175 mile journey up to Canaan, which is about where Jerusalem is today. And they, you think, well, it's 175 miles. What's the big deal? Think about this. It's, it's 169 miles from here to Charlotte. Anybody go watch the Panthers play? Are they still a team? Do people still? They, they, they do, right? They still play football. They show up for games. And there's a stadium in Charlotte they play in. And if you wanted to walk to watch the Panthers play, it would take you about 50 hours of walking. And if you think, well, walk a reasonable amount per day, it would take you about a week to walk from here to downtown Charlotte and watch the football game. But the journey that for the Israelites didn't just take a week or didn't just take a month. It took 
40 years for them to get there. So what happened? Why in the world would it take 40 years for them to go from Egypt to Canaan? Now, there's a few million of them, so it would take a little bit longer. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says that the journey they were on should have taken 11 days, an 11 days walk from where they were to where they were supposed to go, and instead it took 40 years. Now, I'm sure when Moses got the call from God to go lead, when he finally made the decision that he was going to lead God's people out of bondage into this promised land, he, he would have known of this highway or this road that was built between Egypt and Canaan. It went along the Mediterranean Sea, and he probably would have thought, all right, 11-day journey, we got this, we can do it. You ever look at your GPS in the car, and it tells you amount of time it's going to take to get there, and you're like, I can beat that. <laughs> Just last weekend, we're on a family trip. My 17-year-old's driving. I put the destination at the beach in there, and, and it says how long it's going to take, two-plus hours, and she's like, oh, Dad, we can beat that. And I was like, where'd you hear that? It was probably from me hearing me say it. That's probably what Moses was thinking. Well, it's 11 days. How bad could it be? How hard could it get? Look at this map of where they started versus where they were, and where they were supposed to end up. So if you're looking at the map, on the, on the middle left, you see it's all green. That's where Egypt is, and the, the water above that is the Mediterranean Sea. And then if you go up the Mediterranean Sea to your right, you see it starts to get green again. That's where Canaan or Jerusalem is today. That journey across right where the sea is, if you went along the shoreline, would take 11 days. But that's not what happened. They went south. Follow that. That's the Red Sea that kind of comes up in between the two pieces of land and forms that peninsula down there. They went down and down and down, and they just wandered around in that area that's all brown and red and nothing but a desolate wilderness. And so they ended up green on one side, lush, beautiful place. They were supposed to go green on the other side, lush, beautiful place. But they got off track and they ended up in this wilderness, in this desert, between where they had been and where they were going. And that brown place in the middle is the land between where they stayed for 40 years. Some of you came here today and you're in that land between. You're in that desert. You don't know where things, what's going on. You don't know what's supposed to happen, but you know, hey, I'm stuck in this dead-end job, this dead-end career, and I need things to change. Maybe you thought you'd be finished with school by now, but you're still trying. You're still going. Maybe you thought you would have a lot more money socked away at this point in life. Or perhaps your marriage is not the bliss that you thought it would be. Or you're raising strong-willed kids and you think you're probably going to die before you get them out of the house. And you feel like, is this desert ever going to end? This nagging feeling that something just isn't quite right. Or maybe you're dealing with emptiness and wanting to fill your life up with something and maybe that's what brought you here today. A lot of things can happen in that land between, in that desert, and in that wilderness. When we're there, it kind of makes us feel like we're in the middle of adversity. When things are difficult, like they were for the Israelites at this point. 
when things aren't going the way we had hoped in life, when tragedy comes our way, someone hurts us or we hurt somebody else or we get addicted or life just takes a turn we never expected. Have you noticed some people go through adversity and they handle it perfectly? It looks perfect. They go through this difficult time. Something horrible comes into their life they never asked for, they never anticipated, or maybe they caused it. And somehow they get stronger through it. Somehow through the middle of difficulties in life, some people end up getting stronger. And they become better. And they look back at that diversity and say, that's why that happened. If that had not happened, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be as strong as I am today had I not gone through that difficult time. Some people do that and they become a great example for the rest of us who will go through adversity. It's not that if you'll go through adversity, it's when. It's all going to happen. And some people become a great example of becoming better through it. But then other people will go through it and they get bitter and they get nasty and they get mean and they play the part of the victim and they hate life and everybody around them and they don't have many friends and they're all alone because of the way they handled the adversity in their life. Now this is something we have to get this because it's all it's coming. If you haven't had it yet, you will. And here's a reality about adversity that we're going to see through this story today. Adversity is the prime land, the prime place for opportunity. See the Israelites, and we're going to look at the, as we look at their journey, they missed this point. And that's why they wandered around for 40 years. And that's possibly why you're wandering today. So I want to challenge you to look at adversity a little bit differently. To see it in a new light. Because if you miss the purpose behind the potential pain that you might be going through in life, you'll find yourself wandering year after year after year aimlessly. Now in their case... Instead of using this adversity in their lives to make them better and seeing the purpose behind it, they chose a different route. They chose to go a different way. Because if you don't choose to allow it to make you better, there's some other roads you can go down. You can go down the road, and if you're taking notes, write this down, where adversity can lead to complaining. And that's what they became, was a people of complaint. At this point, when we pick up the scripture that we're going to read, they're about one year into the journey where God had freed them through Moses' leadership from the hands of Pharaoh. And they were no longer slaves and they were moving towards their land. And if you just recap the last year of their lives, they were about to be slaughtered. God allowed them to cross through on a... When he split the Red Sea open, they crossed through on dry ground. And then his en- their enemies tried to come in, and they just covered up. God covered them up with the waters, and they were drowned. So God delivered them. They needed guidance. So in the daytime, God provided this cloud that would lead them. At night, God provided a pillar of fire that would lead them. When they needed guidance, they got it. When they got out in the desert, the first thing is, how are we going to feed these few million people? God said, I got that under control. I'm going to provide manna for you. And God just miraculously provided this bread-like substance for them to eat. God was trying to teach them trust. God was trying to teach them obedience. He was trying to teach them He was their provider. He gave them His laws in order to protect them. God gave them His 
His presence through the tabernacle, through the, like a portable church they were going around in. So they could feel and sense the presence of God. God gave them a way for them to release the guilt and no longer feel the guilt of their sins. And here's their response. In Exodus chapter 11, beginning at verse 4. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. Well, it doesn't sound very appetizing. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but still, I don't think I've ever been on the way home and called up and said, hey, honey, do we have any garlic? Because I'm famished. Or how about a cucumber or two? Do we have that? I've never, never asked, and what's a leek? I don't even know what a leek is. But whatever these things were, they were longing for them. And they wanted them again. And you can kind of understand where they're coming from a little bit. You ever tried to diet? I mean, they've just been living on this manna stuff that's just like, like probably just bland tasting crackers. If you've ever done a diet, how was your mood, up or down? And tell the truth, right? About a year ago, I watched this documentary about a guy that bought a juicer and traveled for three months across America, and all he did was drink juice from organic fruits and vegetables. I watched that. I thought, well, you know what? I wouldn't mind to be healthier. So I go off to Bed Bath & Beyond, buy the juicer he said to buy, bring it home, send an hour like, we're going to do this, five days. We're not doing three months, five days, juice only. Monday morning we get up, we've got all of our organic fruits and vegetables, we cram them in there, we got this nice green juice in it. And so the first one, I was like, okay, we can do this. Take the first one, it's fine. Then the next one, we add a little thing called beets. I've never had beets before in my life. If you've never had beets, just when you go outside, just grab a handful of dirt and put it in your mouth. That's what a beet <laughs> tastes like. So that's what it is, nasty. So that was lunch. So breakfast wasn't too bad. Lunch was horrible. And by dinner time, I was like, I'm having a hamburger. I don't care. I don't care about this commitment. I'm having a hamburger. So you can understand how maybe they got a little bit tired of the food they were eating and it kind of led them towards being complainers. Now here's some things I've discovered as I've been in leadership for a couple decades now about complainers. Complainers are, they're kind of like a pack of dogs. They kind of stick together. And they're, they're masters at bringing other complainers into their group with them. If you're a complainer, a complaining group of people says, come on in. We would love to have you. We would, come on in and we'll all complain together. And then complainers tend to think, why don't I have any good friends? Nobody wants to be around you but other complainers. So that's what was going on with these Israelites. They were complaining over and over. And it was so contagious, they pulled Moses into complaining. And he went before God and said, God, just kill me. I cannot handle these people anymore. I would rather die. And he was serious. He wasn't being sarcastic. I would rather die than deal with these bunch of complainers. It's a really bad situation that they're all in. Nobody's motivated. Everybody's hungry. They've been on this pretty much, pretty much a crackers and water diet. And they're tense. And they're complaining. And when you're tempted to go down the road of complaint when you're in that land between and things aren't the way you want them to be. I just want to caution you. 
when you go down the road of complaining, you are going down the road that's far away from where God would have you be. It'll never get you where you need to be. Nobody ever complained themselves into a better marriage. Nobody ever complained themselves into health. Nobody ever complained themselves into getting their way long term. It doesn't work. Author Donald Miller says this. Almost every time I complain, I'm choosing a victim mindset as an excuse not to do something that would easily get me out of the situation. So he's saying, don't complain. But yet they still chose to go down that road. Another road they chose to go down is this one. Adversity can take away my perspective. See, God had given them everything they needed. He fed them. He guided them. He gave them laws to protect them. He gave them His presence. And yet they still complained. They complained, we want meat to eat. Oh, if we could have some fish and we could have some meat. And here's what Moses, who's also frustrated, finally tells them. Now, the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. That's probably the attitude he said it with. The Lord's going to give you meat. You will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but for a whole month until it comes out of your, and he probably paused right there, nostrils. Until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Think about what they're asking. Why did we ever leave Egypt? Why can't we just go back to where the way things used to be? When it was better and we were slaves and we were beaten, but we could eat meat. Why can't we just go back there? And it actually goes on to say, they were saying, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt and plot it among themselves? Let's choose a new leader and go back. They were longing for the way it used to be because in their minds it was better. And if you find yourself when you're in a difficult time, when you're in a time of adversity thinking, Oh, if I could just go back. Oh, if we could just go back to the way it was when we first got married and everything was bliss and happiness and we looked at each other with those eyes. If we could just go back to that. Or if we could just go back to where we used to make more money. Or if we could just go back and unmake that decision that got us in all this debt. Or if we could just go back to when the kids were little. Wasn't life better then? And sometimes you can totally lose perspective of what God really wants for your life. All because you're just looking into the past and thinking, if we could just go back, everything would be okay. When in reality, they're asking to go back to a hard, difficult life where they were in bondage. So adversity can take, cause you to lose perspective. Adversity can also lead to fear. In spite of their complaining, in spite of their longing, you know what God did? He still was faithful. He still provides. And he has Moses, as they're moving closer to the promised land, send out some spies to go in. Now, God knew the promised land was already okay because he had started years before preparing the promised land for them by driving out their enemies. So they thought they were wondering, but really God was preparing them for what was next. And they could have never just walked right in because they would have gotten beaten up. So God's strengthening them. He's trying to get them to the level of faith they need to be at in order to enter this land, a level of strength to defeat their enemies. So Moses sends these spies in to kind of look around all the promised land and see what it's like. And they come back with this report. It says, the spies say to him, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. In other words, it is as prosperous as you say, God, 
And then they brought back some fruit to show. Here's the fruit. But the men had gone up, had gone up with him, said, but we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. So listen to this. At the same time they're saying God was right, they're also saying, but we can't. And when you're in this land between, you start to make statements like that. We can't work this out. I can't ever reach that goal. I could never beat this addiction. I will never be able to take care of this issue in my life. Our relationship will never get stronger. I'll never pass that class. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's what they started to do when they went down the road that led to this paralyzing fear. So they complained, they lost perspective, and they lived in fear. And if you fast forward the story, God eventually gets sick of it. He gets tired of their complaining constantly over and over, tired of them wanting to go back, tired of them living in fear. And so he ends up saying, all right, you're such complainers. I'm going to give you something to complain about. Your parents ever say that to you? I will give you something. You want to complain now? None of you get to go into the promised land. Only your children get to go. And maybe by your example, they will learn to trust me. They will learn what it's like to be guided by me. And God says, everybody 20 years older and older will not enter the promised land. And because Moses even got into the disobedience and the complaining later on, he didn't get to go into the promised land. And God said, but I'm still going to keep my promise. You haven't kept yours, but I'm going to keep mine. And after 40 years, put that map back up. After 40 years of wandering around in that desert, God starts to make them into a people who will trust Him, who will believe in Him. And what was supposed to be a really short journey just across by the Mediterranean Sea there ended up being a 40-year time of adversity because they wouldn't listen. If the complaining would have stopped, the longing for something different would have stopped, the paralyzing fear would have stopped, maybe they could have stopped long enough to realize this adversity is the prime land for opportunity for God to do something big in my life. Every step of their adversity, God was with them. They just refused to listen, refused to trust refused to obey. And they lived in the land between much longer than they needed to. And the same thing will happen to us if we don't shift our thinking and think about diversity, adversity in a whole new way. There's a couple at our church that have lived through some adversity. And I want you to hear their story. So take a look at the screen. We're Lance and Natalie Horn, and this is our story about wandering. We met very young at church. Um, we got married um, in, right before I had graduated from college. And things were really good for several years. We were working, and I mm -hmm. was blessed with a great job, um, and we were just living life, but there was always, there was always something missing. So just throughout our relationship from the time um, that we had gotten married to the time that we eventually moved into the Wake Forest area. Um, my focus was just work all the time and you'll be happy. 2008, 2009, um, this sadness just started growing in me. And uh, finally I decided to go see a doctor and um, 
was diagnosed with depression and um, minor case of bipolar and uh, PTSD from uh, something that had happened as a child. We fought a lot, like a lot, and it was like I constantly had to walk on eggshells around him. We had to make sure that, you know, the kids and I were quiet when he was sleeping. I mean, he would come home and go to sleep, and I just felt like all by myself. Um, it got really, really bad, and we eventually just stopped talking. I told him I didn't love him anymore. So finally, it, it just came to a head where um, we were just arguing all the time. He finally left in February 2010. He went to go stay with a friend. And um, in March of 2010 is when I first attended LifePoint. And I started feeling more convicted every week. And I struggled for a really long time with selfishness and bitterness and just just anger and I was just really alone really really alone and he came back um, after a few months and then he left again and some of that's like a blur you know this happened about three times yeah so we would separate for a few months and then I would we would start getting along yeah and then I would move back in and I would move back out again that we'd, was the we pretty point. much just stop talking at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, we would just talk about the kids and that was it. Uh, there was no personal communication at all really mm -hmm. beyond that. It was a lot of, I can't believe that I married you. I can't believe I had kids with you. Like, I don't love you. I never loved you. Like, the sight of you makes me sick. It was a lot of just really nasty, ugly comments that was just nothing. It just we just, it was like saying good morning. It was nothing, yeah. just saying things like that. And when he finally told me that he got an apartment and he signed a lease instead of just living with a friend, at that point I kind of felt like this is the end. Like we're going to get divorced and this is the end and I just need to prepare myself. And he would remind me constantly that you just need to get over it. Like we're not going to be together. A couple days after he had moved out, I called him and um, asked him to forgive me. And that was kind of the beginning of our way back mm -hmm. out. I would say after that point, our relationship improved. Yeah. Com communication was better, um, but we were still separated. I was still in that, that mindset that I wanted to be out on my own. And um, eventually that wore off. And I just stopped focusing on him. I just It's not that I ignored him. I just didn't really make it a priority at that point. My priority had shifted to my relationship with God. When she had first been invited to LifePoint um, over in Wakefield, uh, she, she had talked about a few things, a few things in service, and so she invited me. So I went out of respect just for her and for the kids just to be a presence there. Like I, I, at this point, I was telling him I felt confident enough in, in God Man. that I would tell him, you know, we're gonna get back together. Like, it's just, like, this is what we're supposed to do. Like, you and I are meant to be together. God said it so, he told me, I'm not supposed to do anything but focus on him and I'm supposed to be your wife. And yeah. that's, I mean. And I would never really accept that, you know, when she would say it, she would just be like kidding around. But inside I was thinking, you're a crazy lady. 
this is never going to happen. <laughs> After these years of struggle and back and forth with separation and the fighting and the nasty words and, you know, the, the argument spilling over, you know, our child seeing us argue, my big moment was one night after I go back to my apartment and I'm just kind of, that night I was, I, I could just feel the Spirit of God moving in me uh, for the first time in a long time. And um, I remember I was, I was standing in my bedroom and I turned the corner to, to walk in the kitchen and I just, I just felt completely numb because everything was coming to a head, everything that I had separated myself from for years. Um, and I felt God was calling me. And I finally just, I just, I almost fell, I almost collapsed. And I cried out, I said, God, deliver me from myself because I can't do this alone. I can't, I can't leave my family and I can't live my everyday life without you anymore. And um, from that point on, our mindsets were pretty much the same to this day, is that Christ is the center of our relationship. A powerful story of people who walked through a very difficult time. I loved what Lance said right at the end. Christ is at the center of our relationship because that really is the answer to getting through adversity. Now Lance leads one of our teenager small groups on Sunday night. He's a leader in our church. Natalie leads one of our ladies' grow groups. What if they had just given up in the middle of adversity and gone down the road of complaining or lost their perspective or just lived their lives in fear? you wouldn't be seeing that testimony on the screen today. Now, your marriage may not have made it. Maybe you were in a difficult time like that and yours didn't make it, or you didn't get through whatever it was. But look back and allow that to make you stronger for whatever's coming next. Adversity is the prime land for opportunity and for God to work in your life in ways He never has before. If you're a follower of Christ, maybe it's time for you just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done letting adversity defeat me. I will not allow it anymore. Or maybe you're, you walked away from God and you just said, you know what, I'm going back to the way it used to be. I'm finished. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And you just went back to your Egypt because you thought it was better. Well, I want to encourage you today to use their story to turn around come back to trust in God to be your provider and your deliverer. Or maybe you're here today and you're not even a follower of Christ yet. You've got something going on in your life. Maybe you're feeling empty, wondering what this is all about. And you just showed up at church just to think, well, is this the answer? Can I feel better by coming here and getting connected with other people and maybe even connected with God and finding out what Jesus is all about? If that's you, I just encourage you today to take one more step closer 
to having Christ at the center of everything that you do. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. I'd love to talk to you. Our other pastors would love to talk to you about that today. But as you leave today in just a few minutes, and you go through adversity from this day forward, like we all will, let it make you stronger. Let it make you better instead of bitter. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story of this couple who lived in the wilderness, who made bad decisions, who struggled with adversity, but they allowed you to make them stronger. God, I pray for everyone in here, whether they know Christ or walked away from you or have never been in a relationship with you, that you would let them take a step today that helps them grow in their adversity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.